Welcome back to the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host, as always, Robbie Burke. And before we get into today's show, I just want to give a shout out to all of the show's sponsors. Firstly, upmentorship.com, which is one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. The Ultimate Performance Online Mentorship is 20 hours of top-class strength and conditioning information available for instant access right at your fingertips. To find out more, head over to upmentorship.com, which is linked up in the show notes. Check it out and help support the show. Next, I want to give a shout out to Altus360 and Altus Education, which are two outstanding online resources for any practitioner in the sports preparation profession. Be sure to head over to the show notes and check out these unique platforms. Next, I want to give a shout out to Joseph Johnson at Ultimate Alley Concepts. Ultimate Alley Concepts is a multifaceted company providing the most sophisticated scientific material in sports science. Ultimate Alley Concepts is the world's leading resource for translated sports preparation material. Next, I want to give a shout out to Papi's National Sports Performance Association, which is an online certification platform for professionals within the sports preparation profession. Currently, the NSPA has four certifications available. Speed and Agility, delivered by Lee Taft. Olympic Weightlifting, delivered by Will Fleming. Nutrition, delivered by Dr. Chris Moore. And Program Design, delivered by Coach Robert Dos Remedios. For more information on the NSPA, be sure to check out all of the links in the show notes. Finally, I want to thank another brainchild of Pat Beef's, Athletes Acceleration, which is another online medium that delivers excellent educational resources for strength and conditioning professionals. And just like with all of our other sponsors, head over to the show notes to get the links to all of the available products that Athletes Acceleration has to offer. A full disclosure, except for Altus360 and Altus Education, I am an affiliate to all of the show sponsors. Lastly, before we get into today's interview, I just wanted to let all the listeners know that the podcast is now on Patreon. If you feel that you are in a position to support the show, I would truly appreciate any donations you'd be willing to make to help support the podcast. Okay, that's enough rambling from me. Let's get into today's show. This episode's guest is Todd Bumgarner from toddbumgarner.com, Beyond Strength Performance and Strength Faction. Todd is a fitness coach, writer, business owner, and outdoorsman from the woods and ridges of central Pennsylvania. He's a wild man, I tell you, a wild man. Todd currently lives in Virginia, where he co-owns and operates Beyond Strength Performance Nova, a training gym that features semi-private group and personal training. He's also co-founder and lead at Strength Faction, an online coaching and mentoring program designed and committed to helping fitness coaches grow personally and professionally by improving their self-care to avoid burnout and providing them with the program design, coaching, and systems to help them build stable and long-lasting careers. When he's not working, Todd is hiking up a mountain, hunting, or fly fishing somewhere in America's outdoors. As I said, a wild man. On this episode, Todd and I discuss Todd's background. We discuss human behavior, communication, and understanding. I asked Todd about the assessment process that is conducted at Beyond Strength Performance. And finally, I asked Todd for his current book recommendations. This was a short and snappy discussion with Todd. I can't wait to have him back on for part two, and I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. Todd, you absolute beauty. We're recording and we're live. This is going to be a, 
a great episode because I know, as I said to you just literally a few minutes before we started recording live here, I know fucking nothing about you. Yeah, that's <laughs> I was, great. I know, it's great. I was over at Bill Hartman's Intensive too, and uh, you, you, you were on a call with him, and he just goes, Robbie, you need to get Todd in your podcast. And I was like, done. So Bill just, Bill just linked this up. By the way, I, I, want, to, uh, I want to be uh, respectful and not absolutely butcher your surname. So I'll let yeah. you introduce yourself to the audience and, and give your full surname. And listen, uh, the fact that I don't know anything about you, I want a full background, a full background check. Oh, man. Everything so now. I want like any, any, anything to do with drugs, anything to do with <laughs> murder, murder charges. Get, give me the whole shebang here. Well, the good news is I skirted the murder charges. Well, I'm from really, I'm from a really rural place, so I'm from rural Pennsylvania. So you could kill someone there and get away with it, and no one would ever find out. You know what I mean? So I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. Your, your, your beard makes you look like someone that you wouldn't want to fuck with. <laughs> it's just for show, man. It's like you know, it's like deer with big antlers, right? It's like you see the guy with the big antlers, you leave him the fuck alone. So, um, no, man. It's funny because that's that's a lot of implicit trust for Bill. If you're like sitting there and. He says, hey, you got to talk to this guy. You're like, fuck, all right, I guess I got to talk to this guy. So, well, Before I let you go on there, after you spend five days living in that man's house, you would trust him with your life. Because him, awesome. him and his wife, Lisa, and their dog, Paxson, are two of the most incredible human beings that I've ever been lucky enough to like just interact with and be around. So um, obviously Paxson's a dog there because I said human beings. But yeah. like, you know, Bill and Lisa are just two phenomenal people. So yeah, when Bill was like, get this guy on your podcast, I was like, done, sir. Dude, he's, he's, I mean, quick aside about Bill before we go into anything else. Uh, he, like, I, I, so I, I, uh, I met him through Dr. Mike Roussel. Are you familiar with Mike? Of course. I know Mike Roussel, yeah. the six pillars of nutrition. I also, just a quick, another quick digression there. Whatever fucking happened to that guy? Because I remember, like, getting back on the internet back, like, in, like, 10 years ago, 2009. He was, like, the main nutrition guy along with Precision Nutrition. Like, he was everywhere. And then he just kind of, like, fizzled out. He's still around. He's just doing, uh, his his projects are bigger and more underground. Like yeah, he's I know what you're saying. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. but uh, so he and I were buddies because we both lived in State College, Pennsylvania. He did his PhD there, and that's the area that I'm from. So we became training partners, and you know he was buddies with Bill, and I had known who Bill was through reading articles and stuff. You know, coming up in the industry, and you know I I was going through massage school, and the one day uh, Mike had some stuff going on uh, in his shoulder or his neck, one of the two. And Bill had been writing all of his programs. So um, he asked me to do some like manual therapy on him and stuff. And I was like, I remember being like, shit, like Bill Hartman actually asked me to, to do some shit to help him out. And I was like, that's crazy, man. And uh, so, but we, we kind of became acquaintances through there. And then, you know, just, I, I went out to Indiana for a seminar and I interacted with him several different ways. And then, you know, I run a, a program called Strength Faction, which is a, pro, uh, a professional and personal development program for personal trainers. And so we always bring in guests to our seminars and I brought in Bill for two seminars and, and we just kind of became friends. And, and last year, I believe it was last year or early this year at one point, you know, I, I run a gym. Uh, I run the strength faction program with two of my business partners and I, I have a business partner at the gym too. And it's like, so I'm responsible for so many other people's development. So it's like constantly content, constantly coaching, constantly doing all these things to help other people put themselves in good positions. And I was like, well, I don't really have any mentors right now. And like, I feel like I'm kind of getting off track with managing a lot of the things that I manage. So I, <clears throat> I shot Bill an email. I was like, Hey man, I, I, and I'm not the best at like, I don't know how to say it. Just, so I have these three, uh, this, this will help. This will be context giving. So I have these three concepts of like in different types of clients that we have. 
I think we have, and it obviously this is oversimplifies and overgeneralized, but like what, what people, why people and how people. Mm. So what people are like the implicit trust people, like you tell them what to do, they're just going to go do it. They just want to, they just want you to give them a plan. Why people are the inherent questioners. You know, they want, they want reasons before they're going to buy in and how people are more about relationship. Like they want to, that's their gateway. They want to develop the relationship with you first and then you can give them all the why, the what and all those other kind of things. And I am inherently a why person to like the worst degree that you could ever imagine. Like if you can't give me a good reason, I'm not going to listen to a goddamn word you say. And so it's tough for me to listen to people. I'm in the same club. So there you go. And I, and I, I, trust. I, want, I want the why of the why of the why. Exactly. exactly. Do, do, you know, do you know that Louis C.K. joke with his daughter? I don't know if I do. Which one is it? So uh, I'll put in the show notes here. But, uh, and again, sorry to interrupt. But no, you're good. It's basically like Louis C.K. goes, so just for like all those people who haven't got kids yet and they see other parents with their kids giving out to them and telling them to shut up and they're all like altruistic and like, when I have kids, I'll never treat them like that. I'll educate them. And then Louis C.K. is like, well, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> and, and he goes, let me tell you a story. My daughter, when we were out eating one day, and she was like, Daddy, why can't we go outside? And I'm like, because it's raining, darling. And she's like, why? And he's like, because clouds make it rain, sweetheart. And she was like, why? And he goes, that's all the information Daddy knows. Why? Because Daddy didn't pay attention in school. <laughs> why, Daddy? Because Daddy didn't go to school that much. Why? Because I, I was too high and I, I just didn't like going, so I used to smoke pot. Why? Because your grandparents didn't love me. <laughs> why? Because I ruined their lives. I was a mistake. <laughs> And I, I took away, I took away, you know, all the glory of life from him. And then Louis C.K. is like, now just to save you as an audience, this excruciating conversation, this goes on for a good two, three, maybe even five minutes. It felt like five. And my daughter just keeps going, why? And why? And why? Until eventually I just go, because some things are, and some things just are not. Okay, sweetheart. But why? Because just, just fucking eat your meal. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm his daughter. I'm that kid and I'm actually 32 years old. So I still do that. But so like, I, I don't listen to people all that well, unless I really have a lot of, a lot of trust in you. And I have that with Bill. So I was like, cause I was talking to my business partner. I was like, dude, I need somebody like that. And he's like, well, who the fuck are you going to ask? You don't listen to anybody. And, uh, so Bill was that for me. So I shoot him an email and I'm like, Hey man, um, I could really use a mentor. And I, I really would like that to be you if we could figure that out. So every two weeks, Bill sets aside 30, 30 minutes uh, for me and we hop on Zoom and we talk about, he checks in on everything, like what I'm working on with my projects, am I taking care of myself, am I doing all the things I need to do, like, you know, just general mentorship shit. But yes, just to illustrate the point that you were saying is like, he's one of the best dudes you'll ever meet in your life. Phenomenal, phenomenal human being. All right, go on. So get, get into this, get into this background. Who are you? Uh, where are you from? I know you said Pennsylvania, but like, who are you? Where are you from? Tell us about like what you did like what was life like growing up family high school sports play did you go to college where are you now like everything's leading up right now just give a yeah. good sort of frame of reference yeah i'll weave my way through this as best i can let's right, listen, take, take as long as you want because listen i know i said I, i'm only on for about another 45 minutes or so but uh listen just parts two three that's why we yeah can, there we go you can hop on and for part two three four five ten i don't give a fuck like i do with pat davidson it's just like in and out and we just get him back in just keep coming back. Yeah. So yeah, like I said, I mentioned earlier, I, I was born, I was actually born in Virginia. My dad was in the Navy. I was born in a Naval hospital. And then, so, and you also like, uh, I have one of the distinct American accents, by the way. So you'll hear it come out. So like rural Pennsylvania, we have our own little thing going on with how we talk. So we don't sound like a lot of the other Americans. So there's a, definitely a regional thing going on there. America. What was it like growing up with a dad from the Navy? 
Ah, well, it was all right. I mean, um, we, uh, we lived there until elementary school and then we moved back to, to Pennsylvania. So there was, it wasn't in the Navy for that long while I was, while I was growing up, I think third grade we left and then we moved back to Pennsylvania and that's just like, it's rural Pennsylvania. So for us, it's like, have you ever heard the joke? Uh, you know, there's, and you might not have heard it coming from the UK, but like there's Philadelphia, there's Pittsburgh and in between is Pennsylvania. So like Kentucky's like this rural, rural, like hickish, like backwoods type of place. And it's honestly, it's true. That's how it is in Pennsylvania too. So uh, it's like you play sports, uh, you hunt and fish or you're bored. You know what I mean? So it's a lot of time outside growing up. Uh, I played football, baseball, basketball, three sports up until middle school. And then when I got up into middle school, I really wanted to do was lift weights and play football. Mm. So that's what I did. Um, what position so of football? I played quarterback on offense and I played uh, different positions on defense. I kind of got moved around, but mostly, mostly linebacker. But when I got to college, I'm only about 5'11". Um, and I weigh about, I weighed about 200 pounds when I started college. So it's like, you're not usually big enough to stick with the linebacking ranks up there. So I got to move back to safety. Uh, what position were you in, in offense? Did you say quarterback? Quarterback. Yeah. Oh, nice. You were good. What, what type of quarterback? Were you a runner or a gunslinger or deep pocket? A little both. A little both. We ran, I, I started out running an option offense, so I can, I can throw the rock, but I can run too. So it worked out pretty well. Nice. Yeah. Just before we go on any further, because I know my Irish listeners will give out. I'm not. In, I'm not. I'm not in the UK. Just so you know that. Oh, oh, geez. I'm sorry. That's like that's like saying to a, a Canadian. So, what part of America are you from? I'm sorry. I take that. I apologize. To I don't. Everyone. Yeah, I don't. I don't give a fucking rattlers. But just other people get their. As as my mother says, people get their knickers in a twist over that. Oh, I don't yeah. give a fuck. Like he, you get like there's people over here and they're still there's they still pretend like they hate the English. It's like listen, you weren't around when any of that shit happened. Just fucking get on with it, will you? Yeah. I, got- I'm all, I'm all about listen. We're all on the fucking one planet. We're all in this shit together. This bollocks that you're French or you're Afghanistani or you're Australian or you're fucking from Azerbaijan or you're from America. It's all bollocks. You're all human at the end of the day. Get Fair on. Fair enough. With it. Fair enough. Well, thanks for the at least thanks for the education. That's what get. Yeah, you got to say. Ireland is not in the UK. I learned that today. Yeah, I appreciate that. But uh, fuck, I don't know where was I. You were. We were talking about football. We were just on quarterback yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. So I did that, and then uh, went to college. I probably should have played quarterback because I was better at it. But I like playing defense. What college did you go to? I went to a really small school in Pennsylvania called Lycoming College. Cool. So I, I got. Uh, I didn't. I was like uh, one of the first. I was the first kid in my family to really get recruited for a sport and we didn't really understand how that shit worked and like I didn't I took the SATs once which is our standardized test um for like college admittance and I did okay um but like my the schools that were recruiting me were uh Patriot League schools so it's like a step below Ivy League and I didn't have either needed my GPA to be slightly higher or I needed my SAT scores to be slightly higher for me to be able for those schools to take a, to take me in. Nobody wanted me, so I ended up at a a smaller school in, in Pennsylvania, which is all right. It wasn't the best fit, but I stuck it out, and I probably shouldn't have. What did you What did you study for your undergrad? My undergrad psychology. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to be a. I was thinking clinical psychologist or. Uh, or I was going to be a special ed teacher. Do you and know some of the best coaches or professionals within like coaching or whether it be like fitness coaching, nutrition coaching, 
like they've had these psychology backgrounds. So I, I actually in sorry, I worked while she was actually intern at Mike Boyle's. Uh, uh, Kristen White should be listening to this. Maybe she she has her undergrad in psychology, and then there's Adi Cashew who works with Working Against Gravity. She's her undergrad in psychology, and I know you did one as well. Like I think that fucking like as you know as well as I do. Like I mean, we're talking about Bill Hartman, and like Bill's like like a universal man like myself yourself like we 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 all know that listen everything's fucking connected nothing's right so like having that background in psychology is fucking i think such a one-up for anyone who's getting into any type of coaching it is i mean it's everything it's everything because it's like no matter like i mean like i think that's one of the things that i tell a lot of the younger coaches because we get to we get to work with a lot of young personal trainers and stuff and strength faction that are first year couple of years into the business and, you know, and, and everybody gets a big hard on for the X's and O's, right? Like mm-hmm. how to, like, what are the work to rest ratios? What are this? Yeah. What's this? And it's like, sure, that's important. But it's like, good luck fucking coaching somebody through all that if you can't connect with them and you don't know how to understand them and, and maybe figure out what motivates them, which I don't think we're responsible for motivation, by the way. I think that that's, I don't think that that's our job. I think that's somebody else's job. But um but you know, it's like that's that's the basis of everything. That's behavior, and we have to. That's what we work with. Yeah, yeah. You, you, have you had a chance to read Sapolsky's uh, behavior book? Yeah, I read it. What do you think? It's phenomenal. Isn't it? I think it's really good. I think there's a lot of information. I have a hard time. I think he politics really hard in it. It's like, hey man, just fucking tell us. This, this I know theory, he's you know? such like, a left liberal. It's he all sneaks yeah. in there too, doesn't he? Yeah, and I think there are times where he makes statements, like he makes very hard statements, and. There are parts like, so like the, his information on testosterone and stuff in that book and like how it's used in different contexts and, and, and everything like, so, you know, wh- whatever you need to compete, if it's being a nicer guy, it's going to be that, if it's going to be this. Yeah. So I it's think a, that kind yeah. of stuff. It's, a, it's an amplifier as he puts it, not a, right, not a cause exactly. factor. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's, I think it's, I think there's a lot of phenomenal information, but I think, and this is actually something that Bill and I talked about. Cause when I was reading that book, I was like, I was kind of getting pissed off cause he makes some statements and he just leaves it right there. It's like, well, no, 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 you're not done. You don't get to just say that and then let it hang. And like, just for example, and I'm, I'm going to preface what I'm about to say by saying that yeah, I have no dog in the race here. Like, I'm not saying that I'm expressing an opinion, but like he says, um, you know, when they do the implicit racial bias tests on people and they say, you know, there are some people that liken it to just a simple novelty, ex- uh, like a novelty experience. And that's why there are things that get noticed, which he goes, at one point in the, when he explains that, the final statement is like, it's not that. And that's all he says. And it's like, no, you don't get to do that, man. Like, you have to fucking, you owe yeah. us more than that. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of that was politicking and it kind of pissed me off. But, I mean, it's Sapolsky. Of course he's brilliant. And, he, and there's the, the book is phenomenal and you'll learn a ton from reading it. But that was my detraction from it. I fully agree with you, though. Just because someone is, is like, is seen as a master within their craft within their field doesn't give them a free license to be able just to state opinions then as facts they need to be held to everyone's the standard that we hold everyone to i completely yeah. agree with that because you do see that i mean patrick war said that years ago he was on a podcast years ago but he said it and i'm completely paraphrasing here but i think someone i think the basic tenets was that someone had asked what do you think one of the issues in the industry is the moment and he says that people are too accepting of their gurus so if they just say something and it's just like, and this happens all the time too. Like this is, I, I find it fascinating. Like, let's say me and you, right? We're connecting here, getting to know each other. And like, there is a subconscious like bias in your head going, oh, I really want Todd to like me. And then you might say something and one part of me goes, that's bollocks. But like, I'm just going to go, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
because I want you to like me. Whereas my objective part is going, I don't agree with him. Like, you know, so it's, it's to be able to remove yourself from that subjective emotional state and be able to say, actually, I don't agree with you there. And it's, and then hoping that the other person has the, is at a current development of maturity to be like, that's, I still love you as a person. Cause I realized sure. like that, that your objection to my point is an attack on me as a person. Like we're not, you know what I mean? So it's that white boy thing, disagreeing without disliking, which I yeah. think a lot of us, even if we acknowledge we can disagree with this, like we still probably do struggle with it unconsciously. You know, like, fuck, I disagree with me, bollocks. I, I kind of feel like I'm rejected now. Yeah, you do. I mean, you do have to slow it down for sure and, and, and take stock of like, um, you know, if, you, if something's upsetting you and getting curious about why. But what, I, what you're describing there is something that I learned over, what, over a decade ago in college um, from uh, Carl Rogers. Are you familiar with Carl Rogers? He was like the founder of humanistic psychology. And he has, a, he has a concept called unconditional positive regard, which people fucking totally butcher and misuse. And they think it's just sunshine and rainbows all the time. And it's just being nice, which is, that's not what it means. It's, it's more based on like, you can't broadly apply it to the world and say like, everything's okay. Everyone's just fine all the time. And it's like, that's how people perceive it. But it's essentially saying like, no matter what you say, like, I'm going to regard you as a human being, just basically as a human being and people are fucked up. Like you're going to say weird shit. You're going to differ from me. And like being able for like, so that's actually a true expression of actually how you regard someone at the basic sense. So it's like, if I say something, you're like, nah, that's horseshit, man. Your ability to say like, nah, that's horseshit means you actually have a true level of regard for me because you're willing to disagree and have that kind of conversation rather than just like gloss over and like, let's just keep everything copacetic. Everything's yeah. fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's so, exactly, that's exactly my mindset. It's, it's funny. We, we, we kind of have this joke through in, in the gym. Like, so like let's just use this as an example someone's in the bench press right and like they're going for a max we'll just say i'm just using an example and like they're you know they're they're pressing up the fucking barbell and they clearly don't have it and then you take it off and rack it in and it's kind of like did i get it and you're like no you're a mate i wouldn't lie to you yeah exactly (laughs) that kind of way you know if you're you're a true friend you'll fucking call me out like you know that's exactly it and that's honestly that's the underlying foundation of all of the coaching that we do at my gym and in strength faction but how, how, sorry, how do you go about building that though? Because it's one thing for you to be at a stage in your life to have an awareness for that. Cause you're 32 now, but let's say you have a young 20, 21, 22, you know, intern coach. And like, how do you facilitate them coming to that awareness? And the reason I ask that too, is there is a, a, a fucking super duper human being, Neil Ramp, Neil Rampy. I must actually ask him, does he prefer Ramp or Rampy? Cause it's, it's spelled with an E at the end. Uh, he's the head. Of, do you know Neil? Do you know Neil? I know of his name. I don't know him. So I was lucky enough to meet up with him two or three times when I was interning at Altus. Um, I got to spend yeah, I got to spend a full day with him out at the LA Dodgers. So th- their training camp or facilities in Arizona. So they're 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 spring training like so that's why they were in Arizona. But he used to be with the Diamondbacks. Then he went to the Dodgers. Like and he's he's a gent like, and then lucky enough to have dinner with him too with with Jazz Rondawa and Michael Wu, so myself, Mike, were interning at Altus, and Jazz then is the head of sports medicine at Altus. I'm, I know I'm, I'm filling in probably too much information, but I always like to be detailed with my stories. But uh, Neil did a fucking shit ton of work. Now, I know people have their own opinions of this, but they did a ton of work with Landmark at, at Diamondbacks, and he like swears that it fucking greatly helped in this development of the staff of being able to be like brutally honest and know that it's a secure, safe place. So that's kind of what comes to my mind when I'm asking you the question about how do you go about instilling that in your facility? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, first of all, it's it's communicating and having helping people understand it. So, like when when people come into our like when coaches or interns come into our environment, like we explain that to them. Like we give them the education to understand, like this is how things work here. Yeah, and and, it, and it's just like you know to liken it to just kind of modeling. You know what I mean? Because so say you know you grow up with really good parents, right? And you see them fight and you see resolution and you see that kind of stuff. It's just like anything else. You model the behavior and people yeah. can get an example as you conceptualize. And, and I think the biggest thing it starts with is, is creating an environment like that and helping people understand that it all starts with self-acceptance. Because if you don't have that, if you don't have that, you're going to take your shit out on other people. So it's like getting people the, the, to understand that. And, you know, obviously it takes time and takes a level of maturity and people aren't going to be perfect with it, but we have, you know, our coaching code of values and things, what we get to the closest approximation of these things that we can every day. Oh man. I think that that's it. That fucking last few sentences you put together there, that it starts with yourself, right? First of all, I, I breathed out a sigh there to say like, I don't know how many times I said that, but then I was actually going to say, I have a point to make that. And then you made the point, the point that you're saying that we're just trying our best to like love ourselves every day. Cause it's kind of like, you can say, Oh, you know, love yourself first. And then like, it, it almost like puts you on this automatic, like, you know, tr- like, you know, pedestal that look, I love myself. I'm so great. And I'm above everyone where it's not, where it's like saying, you know, working on, self-love and acceptance for myself again is a dynamic journey like there's days where i'll love myself more than other days and be more accepting and therefore i'm going to be a better like i'll have like your patience for other tolerances when your environment is dynamic um and then you know you you so you, you said like working working on this on yourself first knowing that it's dynamic and it's not like this static thing that once you attain like this kind of quote unquote self-actualization that's it like you know you, yeah. you you love yourself at this like high level all the time, knowing that it's it's dynamic, and uh, yeah, I mean that's fucking that that's savage. Like I, I mean, I speak about that all the time, man. Well, it's honesty, right? Because that's what that's what love is. Love is honesty, and and even for yourself, it's like you know, and that's the thing. Like I, I saw this thing the other day that made me laugh. And it's like usually the people that tell you stay away from toxic people are always the fucking people that are actually toxic. So it's it's like it's it, love isn't just being like it's regarding yourself enough to tell yourself the truth in the same way. It's like, well, you know, being like, I'm good at this. I'm not good at this. Hey man, you're a really big asshole when you did something that way and understanding that. And, and I think also like physiologically taking care of yourself and putting yourself in a good place is, is also super helpful because, you know, I know myself, like, if I haven't eaten, I'm awful. I'm a terrible fucking person. If I haven't eaten and I've gotten really hungry and my blood sugar starts to drop, I'm just a mean fucking prick. And I got to take care of that. And it's like thinking of all of the measures that you have to take to put yourself in the best position possible to, to, to be the person that you need to be for the people that you need to support. And and I think that that, that starts a lot of it too. And yeah. Uh, just fucking, do you remember in Sapolsky's book, his, his, uh, he was talking about the judges who, uh, yeah, four hours. If they yeah, haven't eaten for four hours, if, you're if, fucked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just for people who are listening, it's a spoiler alert here, by the way. 
uh, in Zabowski's book, he, ta- he talks about that if judges had low blood sugar, they were more likely to to give guilty as as the verdict. Yeah. Uh, than they were if it was after lunch and they, they their blood sugar was more normalized. Like, and he, he, in other parts of the book, he talks about like when people like were hungry or had low blood sugar, they were less likely to be helpful and were more likely to be like just pricks. Yeah. So I mean, listen, we know that that's why it's called hangry. But another thing he kind of said there earlier on, uh, going back to like you know working on, working on like uh, working on self love is you know that bringing you know coming to this awareness too that listen there's and kind of bring this awareness to the people that are going to be working in your environment that there's days where like myself and you guys too you'll bring your shit in and like even though you're aware like fuck like you know the 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 like the shit that i carry right now has nothing got to do with anyone else but i still might project it out on onto them like unconsciously or just just like just out of habit and it's it's being able to know within our circle that you know that again this is a safe place and we understand that even if we're not loving ourselves as much as possible and we project something out onto someone else that it's not to be taken as an offense that it's like listen I, like and you're not saying these things out loud but like you're like okay todd is you know todd's having a tough day today but i fucking unconditionally love him i accept him um and i'm gonna tr- be here if he needs me in any sort of way to facilitate any sort of healing process he needs right now and just another key point in that too is that this is where people get a little bit confused too and i'm always very um very careful i make this point is that unconditional love now some people can get a bit cringy when they hear that term another another term for that is just acceptance all right say unconditional acceptance this does not mean this is the key point this does not mean that you have to like everyone it does not mean that at all. Like you can like really dislike someone, but unconditional love just means that you understand that they are the way they are in that moment of time for a particular reason. There are factors to why that person is behaving or behaved that way in that particular moment of time. That's unconditional love and acceptance. I unconditionally love that person right now. Do, do I do I like what they just done or said or are doing or continuously do? on a moment-to-moment basis or their maybe their global general personality no you don't have to like it at all and if by the way if you do say you like someone and you don't you're a fucking hypocrite you're lying yeah you're not you're not you're not being honest yeah you're not helping at all so you're not and it goes back to our point around having that maturity to be like calling people out but again just having that awareness within yourself first of all and then within the collective group of individuals you spend the most time around which is at home and in the workplace to know that this is a safe place we're all trying to do the best we can in terms of self-love for each other on a moment-to-moment basis. And there's days where our standards are going to be better than other days. And when, our, when the days are when our standards are low is when, is when like, that individual needs more love from you. Because they're, they're, basically they're, they're deficient in it. Their love for themselves that day is deficient. I'll help them in any way I can. And if there's any sort of quote-unquote offensive behavior by them, even though like, you can only t- you choose to take offense, it's just because they're lacking in a little bit of self-love today or patience with themselves. And they're just, it's, it's just a coping mechanism. And it's just being uh, able to have that maturity to realize, listen, this is a safe place. I love you no matter what happens. I'm still going to call you out on your shit, but I oh, still love sure. you. Yeah. It's not permissiveness. I think that's the most important thing where I think people think it's just like this certain level of permissiveness where you just let things go. And, it, and it, that's certainly not it. But I mean, I, I think the thing that helps us a lot is you know, that's always part of the conversation with, with us and our staff is like, hey, where are you at today? What are you as a person? Like, are you good? Like, and if you're going to come through the doors, 
you know, we do, we do our best to leave our shit outside the door. It's like, you know, when we come in, this is our client's time and, and we're going to do our best to put them in a position to be successful. But if you're not there, that's okay. Um, and you need to go home, go home. You're not going to be penalized for that. Like if something fucking happened, like your girlfriend just dumped you, your boyfriend just dumped you, you know, something's rough. Like, you know, you're not in the right frame of mind to be here today. We'll figure it out. Go home and take care of yourself and you can come back and try tomorrow. You know, just regarding the interaction with the client though, like, do you think you should be honest as the trainer that day saying, listen, I'm having a rough day. Like what, what's your thought on that? Like, cause again, like if you're putting on this sort of like, Oh, everything's great. It's a lie again. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it depends. It depends on the situation. Um, suppose it depends on the relationship that trainer has with it, that client. It depends on the relationship. It depends on the, it depends on the situation. There's been times like, honestly, like it was before a session and it, just to be brutally honest, it was before a, we run a semi-private gym. So, um, we don't, we have a few one-on-ones. It's rare. We have a few group classes, but 99% of what we do is semi-private. So I was in there in the early afternoon getting set up. Um, and one of the clients that we're really close with walked in on me trying to get my shit together. The girl I had been with for the past year, like we went through some rough shit together. She was leaving. I was fucking crying a little bit, trying to get my shit together to fucking open the gym for the day. I wasn't sure if I could do it. And she walked in she's like, what is wrong with you? Are you okay? Like you're, cause I'm, I'm a fucking, when I coach, like I'm very outlandish. I'm loud. Like I carry the room. Like I make sure everybody has fun. Yeah. And she's, she's, she was like, are you all right? And I was honest with her. And I was like, yeah, this, I'm trying to get my shit together. I was trying to do this before anybody got here, but yeah, this is what's going on. And it's like, yes, I think there's a certain level of honesty, but I think it's contextual. Right. And I, and I, and I, I hope that doesn't sound like lying. No. It's like, no, no, I, part, I think you're dead right there. Contextual is the exact word. Yeah. It's parts. What parts should you share? And I mean, it's like, you know, it's like, and maybe, I don't know the best way I think you could do it. If, if you, it's like, look, yeah, I had a rough day but that's fine. We're here to do this today and let's all move forward. Cause that's the, that's the best thing that you can, you can express to them. Like, I mean, you know, let's say if somebody comes in and they're supposed to do a certain deadlift that day and they just don't have it, maybe their movement's not there. Maybe something's not there. You're like, yeah, that was the plan. It's not going to work today. Let's move forward and get done what we can get done. Yeah, And, and I think not, it's the same yeah. communication. Knowing that that's all right. And again, like not seeing it as an obstacle, but an opportunity to learn and grow in another way. So no, I yeah. think, yeah, I think the, 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 the not that there's, I suppose, is there ever a right answer, you know? Because if we, if we talk about quantum physics, we know it's all about probability. But, right. uh, like, I think contextual is, is, is the most appropriate answer to what we just spoke of there, you know? So, listen, um, this is fucking savage. I'm just, it, what's been kind of repeating in my brain for, like, the last few minutes is, like, Bill was correct. Bill was correct. Get this man, <laughs> get this man on your podcast. You two are fucking absolutely connecting here. It's savage. Resonating to fuck. Uh, so strength faction is the name of your facility. So tell me more about that. Like when did it open up? How did it open mm-hmm. up? So kind of too, we only stopped at college too. So where did you go from college and like what, yeah. what got you into exercise and then bring us up to strength faction? So, so the gym is BSP Nova, beyond strength performance, Nova, this, the, the online, the coaching program for other coaches is strength faction. So, okay. but yeah, yeah, I'll catch you up there. So yeah, I got, I got into college and I was, uh, I was going to be either a clinical psychologist or a special education teacher. And I started leaning towards special education because, you know, honestly, it was bullshit reason because I listened to other people too much at that point in my life. Um, like I, I didn't, I, my dad kind of left the scene when I was a young teenager. So I didn't have a lot of direction. And my older brother, who was about uh, 11 years older than me, kind of tried to step in and fill that role. And he, you know, he's doing his best. He's a fucking guy in his mid twenties. Like, mid to late twenties trying to help his little brother and give him some direction. And, you know, he, 
he wasn't totally put together yet as a human being and he's doing his best. And, you know, he was like, well, you should be a special ed teacher because it's really easy to get a job doing that and you'll be able to come home and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right, that makes sense. So I'm going to do that. So I, uh, I start, I, I have a major in psychology and at the school that I went to, you could just get a teaching certificate. You couldn't major in education. So I was going to get that. And I started going to all these classes, um, these education classes. And, and, and during when I was in college, that's when George W. Bush passed No Child Left Behind. And I was like, I can't get behind any of this fucking shit. Like, we can't even do our jobs. And, and meanwhile, um, can, can you give me more context? I, I have no idea. Like, what, even though no it, left behind was, yeah, yeah, it was. it's essentially teaching to a test all the time. And then that was based on like your test performance based how much funding you got from the federal and state government and that kind of stuff. And it was just, it was a, it was horseshit because first of all, you, there was, it was taking the educational component out of it. And we like focusing teachers just on these fucking tests, just on these fucking tests that, that were essentially meaningless. And then, the, the students that needed the most help weren't going to get the money because your, your fucking funding was based on how well you performed. It was like, it was this fucking bunk system that I, I just couldn't get behind. So, and at the same time, you know, I'd started reading teen nation when I was like 18, 19. So like back when it was still awesome and you know, I'd, I'd fallen in love with strength and conditioning. I started powerlifting when I was like 14. I started lifting weights when I was 12, started powerlifting when I was 14 and I would read these articles all the time. And, I would go and I'd print out different research studies on pretty much anything you get, or I would go to, or I would go to the library and read a Kurt Vonnegut book, or I'd do something like this. I'm very lucky that school was easy for me because I would just dick around with my classes and then go learn what I wanted to learn. And uh, so I get to the point where like, I just had kind of just clicked and was like, man, why are you fighting this? Why are you fighting this? This is what you want to do. So I decided I was going to go to graduate school for exercise science. So I finished my degree in psychology and I started taking some of the other classes I would need to go to grad school. Um, and I, I did it. So I just, I graduated with my psychology degree and then I jumped into the working world cause I come from a pretty uh, poor family. So I don't have, I didn't have the opportunity to say like, well, I'm just going to go figure this out or do this. I had to work. So I, I started working in, um, I have no sympathy for you just in case you're wondering. Yeah, good. Good. I don't want any. Um, and I know you I, don't. I uh, jumped into the world of like mental health and intellectual disabilities. So I ran group homes and day programs for people with some from anywhere from like profoundly profound mental retardation to you know h higher functioning people. And so I, I was a program specialist at at which would essentially that's a whole nother fucking can of worms. No, hold on, hold on, hold on. I actually want to know about that if you want to talk about it because I I find that fucking fascinating i think people who get into that are just w w why like why did you want to get into that like because that that's that that's shit people just don't want to fucking think about they most day-to-day -day people you know what i mean they're going about their lives and it's like can you imagine having to look after someone like if to wipe their arse fuck, yeah i, I did wipe, it wipe their drool they're completely incoherent like yeah because i mean you know every, everybody needs somebody to give a shit about them everybody needs a kind of a, a safe place to go but people and, some people don't man yeah, I know. And I again, well, but that, that goes back to they don't give a shit about themselves like at an unconscious level, really, isn't it? I think at some level, it's probably in there. But it was just like, you know, it's like my, my first experience was when I was in college, I got a job at this day program, um, which is essentially where, you know, adults with intellectual disabilities, they get in Pennsylvania where I did it. You get funding from the state and they'll pay for you to go to these programs and live in a safe home and do all these kind of things. And a lot of these people would just have terrible families that either didn't know how to care for them 
or didn't give a shit enough to care for them in the right way. And so I, I worked with this kid, his name was Alan and he had cerebral palsy, um, very intellectually disabled. Um, and just, just imagine being locked inside that, right? So you can't move like everybody else can. The world's going by in a way that you can't understand it. Um, you're, you're, you're much more basely driven and it's like, a, and he had a lot of, he didn't have a stable home life. So of course he was angry. So he would, he would lash out and he would hurt people. So my job was to keep Alan from hurting people all day. Yeah. So, um, and the reason I got the job is one day I went in and I sat down to just kind of hang out and Alan would push people. He would try to grab you. He'd try to scratch you. And he loved the Lion King. He loved watching that movie. So we would, we spent a summer watching the Lion King, maybe 5,000 fucking times. But we're sitting there in the chair watching the Lion King and he just looks at me and he goes like this and just punches me in the chest. And I went, well, that probably wasn't the best thing to do, was it? And he just laughed and then we watched the, the Lion King, we watched the rest of it. And the guy that was observing me saw me do that and that's why he gave me the job. And it's just like, well, it's not that big of a deal. Like I've been punched in the face before. This kid can hit me in the chest. Everything's going to be just fine. So, um, you had a lot of sacks at that stage. Yeah, I've been hit. Man, I was quarterback. I've been sacked a lot. Yeah, I run into 300 pound motherfuckers for a while. Like a kid, uh, a skinny little kid hitting you in the chest doesn't make that big of a deal. Um, but I, I got into it because I don't know. It was like, it's just, I've, I've always kind of had that in me to like take care of people. Like, I just, I, it's, it's interesting because I, I have this weird dichotomy of like f- fucking like staunch personal responsibility and individualism, but also feel a very severe responsibility to other people and helping helping guide them and stuff. And I think that that's kind of what pulled me towards that. And um, so I did that, but it was like, I ran into bureaucracy. You know what I mean? It was like, it was tough for us to actually do our job. So like one of the horseshit things, I just actually told this story in Chicago when I was teaching last weekend. Um, it's like, so I, I would do these, they called me a program specialist. So I would have to write goals for these, for people. So it would, for their funding, right? So, for example, there was this guy in one of the group homes, his name was Ricky. And he was at this time in his early to mid forties, um, loved NASCAR. I forget what level of intellectual disability he had, but he wasn't super functioning. And he pretended every night that he had a radio show. He would get on, he'd pretend he had a radio show, right? <laughs> Fucking awesome. And it was awesome. And they wanted me to write a goal that got him away from doing that. And I was like, I'm not going to fucking do that. Like, why would I fucking do that? Like, the guy loves doing it. It's like, if anything, let's turn this into something for him because it's something that he loves to do. I thought that's what you were going to say to me. Oh, yeah. the, the, what no. the fuck were they thinking? And the whole thing is like, well, that's not something a normal 42-year-old man would do. It's like, how many normal 42-year-old men do you fucking know? Like, we're all idiots. We all, we're children until we die. Like, What's that's how fucking, men tell, tell me what fucking normal is anyway. Yeah, yeah exactly. So they want to do all this kind of stuff, like writing these goals for people that – it's like, let them live. Like we're, we're, we're providing a safe place for them. We're giving them, we're letting them pursue their interests in their life. Like, I'm not going to say because you say that a normal 42 year old man wouldn't do this, like that it's not the right thing for him. And then do you realize, it's like, go through your head and all of the things that you pretend that you are every day. He actualizes it because he doesn't give a fuck because he doesn't have the hangups that we have. Oh, man, man. Yeah. And it's like now in this day and age, it's like what you could do is well, you could turn that into a podcast for the guy. You could do whatever, you know? So, but I ran into that and it's also, you know, from a financial perspective, 
it's, it was really tough to make it work. Like I wasn't getting paid anything. I was running into all these hangups with it. And I was like, so at, at that time I was also going to grad school and I was doing it online. And then I finally got Todd, just where, where did you do your, your, uh, graduate degree? Yeah. California university of Pennsylvania. I did a master's of science and exercise science with a concentration in human performance and injury prevention. That was a, that was um, a long title there. I can yeah. so what, what age are you now at this stage, you know, doing the master's? 20, uh, 23. Yeah. Okay. So about a decade ago, nine years ago. Yeah. 23. And then, uh, so I, uh, I was doing that and then I got uh, hooked up with this gym locally in state college, Pennsylvania. And, um, I got an internship there, which like my degree didn't require one, but I was like, I don't know enough. Like I'm going to graduate with this degree and I don't have enough experience. Like I started coaching people, coaching people when I was like 18, 19 years old. And I was a, a strength and conditioning coach for the women's lacrosse team and the women's softball team when I was still in college, because they were like, Hey, this kid is around the gym all the time. And I worked as a super, uh, a student supervisor of the rec center. And, uh, so they were like, I worked with one of the girls that was on the lacrosse team and she was like, well, why don't you be our strength and conditioning coach? I just, I'll talk to my coach to see if we can do it. So they gave me a student job cool. as a strength and conditioning coach for the women's lacrosse team. And then I took on the softball team. Um, was there any money for that or was that free? Yeah. We got paid seven fifteen an hour to right. do it, which right. was awesome. It was like, it was yeah, better than any better other than... campus job. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I, I was doing that and then, you know, I, I got out and I was like, I don't have enough experience. Like I, at that time I wanted to be a collegiate strength and conditioning coach, which just ended up not being actually the line of work that I wanted to do, but I realized, but so I got an internship at this place called victory sports performance and fitness. And then I got hired there and I worked there for, I don't know, seven, eight months. But when I was there, that's where Chris, my business partner and I met and we became real buddies because we were like the only normal fucking people there is like, and I, if I had known, what what it was going to be like i might not have taken the job so there is no normal just so you know yeah well you know what i mean the closest approximation of something i know what you're saying yeah, yeah. everyone else is throwing shit on the walls and yeah it, it was just like this weird and it's like no judgment here just wasn't the right fit for me is like this really far crazy christian environment that the owners had and stuff and it's like they made a lot of fucking asinine rules and things that didn't make sense. And it was just like very contradictory. And it just, so Chris must, and I were, you must pray in between sets of squats, a one squat, a two pray. It, it was very, very fucking strange. Uh, but, um, <laughs> you wouldn't take it back though. It's a good experience. No, it was it. I mean, I don't, I don't, that's one thing is like, people ask me, what would you do? What would you regret? I was like, I, I don't think I would do fucking anything. Nothing. I, same what would I do like, I don't fucking know. Like I, I can't apply context to like, cause I understand now looking back, like I understand who 23 year old Todd was. Exactly. Exactly. Like I get it. You know what I mean? So exactly. It all makes sense. So I walked, I walked through that. It wasn't right. I met a girl while I was there and she was really, really good at rugby. Um, she was a, a two or three time all American. She played for Penn state. She was a scrum half. And she was like, well, I'm going to go to DC because what would be our premier league for women here? She was getting picked up by that team and she was in the national team pool so I was like, well, I don't fucking want to be here anyway. I'll just go with you. And um, so we ended up down there. And, and that's when Chris and I had the, con the, the, we conceived Beyond Strength Performance LLC, which was going to be an online company. And uh, we ended up doing that. And, but we didn't know any idea, have any idea what we were doing. Yeah. So we're in DC. I'm working at this gym on Capitol Hill. And my girlfriend at the time is playing rugby, having a hard time finding a job. I know she actually wants to be a chiropractor. And one day, 
you know, she gets, she didn't like playing for the DC team. So she went, she went and played for the Northern Virginia team just across the river. And it was just like, it was like she was just spinning her wheels so she could play rugby. And one day she was going for a run and we lived in a rough part of town. We lived in Hyattsville, Maryland, which is just outside DC, real rough part of town. And she got followed home. Like she got followed by an SUV. And I was, she came home and told me when I got home from work, I was like, fuck this. We're going back to Pennsylvania. Like, apply to Cairo school. Like, I'll go with you. We'll go up there. Um, and then I'll pick the next place that we live. We'll figure this out. But this is just fucking stupid. Like, we're not doing this anymore. So I ended up with her up in upstate New York. I guess it would be Western New York in the Finger Lakes at New York Chiropractic College for about a year. And then I just kind of fizzled up there because, like, I couldn't find work in strength and conditioning. I was running the gym. I was working at the gym on campus. I was training a few people. I was training the local high school football team. And then I had to work at the, the coffee shop in town just to support myself. And all at the same time, like I started writing for T Nation. So it's like these T Nation articles became really important to me because it's like, fuck, that's 300 bucks, man. <laughs> like I need that fucking money. And uh, so I, I just, I got to the point where I was like, look, I'm going to go back to Pennsylvania. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to open my gym because that was the plan. Went back to Pennsylvania work through that I'd have a place then the zoning would fall out I'd have some money then the money would be gone and it just fizzled and fizzled and fizzled she and I ended up breaking up and right after that I went to massage school because I was like okay well I need more ways to fill billable hours like I need to do something to make money here and then I during all of this process I became with a guy friends with a guy up in Connecticut um, named Mike Ranfone and he and I became good Mr. buddies. Mr. Ranfone. I have to meet this yeah. motherfucker. Uh, just a, a very, very quick digression. I told, yeah, Pat, yeah, I told Pat Davidson this and he found it fucking hilarious. Uh, I keep singing his name in my head and I've never met a Mike Ranfone. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For some reason, I have this tune and it goes like, uh, it goes, Mike Ranfone, phony's on the phone. I don't, I'm, <laughs> I have no, if Mike Ranfone is in this, he's like, that Robbie Burke guy's a fucking psycho. <laughs> I literally be like cooking my dinner and I'm like, Mac man, fault. I'm like, why am I singing that? I don't know. It's, a, well, it's an easy name to, it kind of has a ring to it. So there you go. Yeah. Okay. But so you, sorry. You he, he asked me to, he asked me to come up and, and work up there. And I was up there for two years, um, helping them develop things, coaching. Um, and it went mostly well, you know, and, and, but Connecticut wasn't the best place for me. Mike and I, kind of butted heads a little bit towards the end and we're good now. So, I mean, I don't think you would mind me saying this. And so I got out of there. I was like, I, this isn't where I need to be anymore. I, I need to do something else. And uh, so I moved back to Pennsylvania for seven months um, just to get my head on straight. I, I worked like, it was like the summer of 2015 was like a crucible for me. Like I was working at the gym. I, I reached out to like, I was like, I know I'm going to be leaving. So I walked in, in in May and I was like, Mike, I'm going to give you the summer, but at the end of the summer, I'm done. I'm going to leave. I want to, I, this isn't where I want to be anymore. I need to move on. What was he, what was he like? It was a rough summer. He was not happy about it. I'll be honest with you. He wasn't happy about it. Um, so we had a rough summer. And so like, so he you, and I, you mean between you and him, like just, we had a rough relationship. Um, it was, it kind of would go up and down and, and, and during the summer, but, and then also, you know, I knew I was going to be leaving. So like, I got to bankroll myself. Like I have a lot of uncertainty. So, I just fucking casted a wide net and just asked for help. I'm like, Hey, do you have any clients I could do manual therapy on blah, blah, blah. So I was like driving down to Westchester County, New York and Greenwich, Connecticut, which is about between an hour and hour and a half away. I go down there in the morning. 
I'd see all these high dollar manual therapy and training clients drive back up, work at the gym in the afternoon. I took on like 15 online clients. Like I just hustled my balls off to, to bankroll myself. Um, and then at the end of the summer I left and I went home to Pennsylvania. It was like a, almost like a seven month respite. But like before I left, I called Chris on the phone because he and I were supposed to do this program, this online coaching program back in 2013. I went down to his house in Virginia and we laid it out and this is what we're going to do. And we brought Mike on and we kind of, it kind of fizzled. It was like there were too many hands in the cookie jar and we couldn't figure out how to make it work. Um, so I called Chris and I was like, Hey man, we're going to do that coaching program. He was like, cool. All right. I like that. I was like, yeah, it's going to start in two weeks. I'm going to make a post today asking for trial clients. We'll figure it out. And so we just did it. And that eventually became strength faction. So I spent the fall fishing, hanging out with my buddies, um, working on strength faction writing. I would drive up to New York and see clients every once in a while. And, uh, I spent seven months doing that. And it's like, I got to the point where it's like, okay, well, you're either going to stay here or you need to go somewhere else because you got to figure out what you're going to do here. Um, and I love Chicago and I became really good friends with my buddy, Mike Connolly out there. He had a gym at the time called rebel. And I was like, I loved going to Chicago. One of my exes was from there. I'd go home with her for Christmas and stuff. And so we were figuring it out and I was like, I'm either going to go to Chicago, I'm going to go to Virginia and help Chris run the gym because Chris wanted to grow the gym. He wanted to do more staff development type of stuff. And like everywhere I've ever been, I've been responsible for that, at least an internship program and developing people. What, what was the gym Chris had down there? What was it called? Beyond Performance Nova. So that's, yeah. So now I moved down here with him. And oh, I, uh, so, sorry, so you're not, in, you're not in Pennsylvania right now? No, I, I'm in oh, Virginia. Okay. I live in Virginia. Yeah, I was yeah. wondering. I thought you were back in there, right? No, nah, yeah. Makes sense. I get you now. Go on. So, yeah. So, the spring of 2016, I made the decision. I was like, I was going to go to Chicago, but I was like, it's not the right move, man. So, I, uh, I moved down to Virginia because Chris and I were doing a lot of work on Strength Faction at the time. And it just made sense to go down here, be with him as much as I can so we can work on that and, you know, help and grow and run the gym. And I've been here since uh, April of 2016, so we're coming up on three years, and we've grown from, we were right at the transition at the end of one lease, and in October of 2016, we started another lease, and we went from like 1,100 square feet up to like 5,000 square feet, and have been growing the programs and doing stuff over the past few years while also growing Strength Faction. I teach for Equinox. I do workshops for them. Yeah, not well. And then uh, I we also have oh. mouthful, and I'm not saying this to sound like a hard ass, but we're not we're not allowed to publicly say their name. But we work with a, a full time federal tactical law enforcement unit, and Chris works with all the guys that are already on teams, and I work with the guys that are the new recruits. So Sweet. it's, uh, it's a pretty pretty train, wild. Yeah, training them fucking badasses. Well, the thing is, is it's not. It's like getting them to be reasonable. It's not, you know what I mean? Is the biggest thing. Cause it's like all these guys are mostly some, it's, it's a weird dichotomy of people, but mostly are former special operations types guys. So for us, like Marine recon, uh, Navy seals, army Rangers that have been able to just kick ass their entire lives. And now they're mid to late thirties and they, they still think they can do all the things that they did when they were 24 and 25 and helping them shift into a long-term approach to developing their bodies and sustaining their bodies so they can do this, this career. And that's, that's more of the battle we fight than actually training them. It's like 
they're already um, freaks. Yeah, I'm not going to make them any better. So, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And beyond strength performance, um, I mean, the, 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 the sort of, the name kind of speaks for itself. Uh, it sounds like it's, uh, you know, you, you want your work to transcend your gym walls. And by the way, I stole that from Zach Evans. Yes, I know. Uh, I, I interviewed Zach before and like he just, we were, during our conversation, our podcast, he was like, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he's like, I, I, I want what I build with my athletes to transcend the gym walls. And I always thought that was like one of the most beautiful things ever. Like, it's like, you just put that shit in the t-shirt. But, uh, so who, who came up with that name? Was it, was it like beyond strength performance? It was it's on my ribs. Yeah. It's on my ribs. I have a tattoo strength beyond strength on my ribs, which is actually uh nice, nice ribs. Thanks man. You know, they're meaty. You're like, I, you're, I have to say, you're like me. We both need tans. We're both white as fuck. Oh, God. I, yeah. I, the, I'm the, one of the most translucent people you ever meet in your life. I, I have to say, the most translucent human being of all time is Jack White from the White Stripes. That oh, man, for sure. Without he, a doubt. He is translucent. But I think he does it on purpose. Like, he avoids the sun so he can Yeah, what is that? that? I don't know what it is. I don't know. Doesn't sound uh, fun to me. So I have to wrap up here, um, yeah, yeah. but I'm going to absolutely fucking get you back on. Uh, yeah. So we'll get our schedules realigned. I mean, um, if, you're, if you're around this time next week or whatever, we'll do it again. But before we go there, just um, I, have, like, I have a few minutes. Just yeah. t- tell us a little more about Beyond Strength Forms in terms of like what would one person and even like strength fraction to the online and um, we can speak about that next week but if i was showing up at your facility just take me through that i'm brand new can you mm-hmm. give me a rundown of like what is it like from day one through my journey then at, at beyond strength form so like you know is there a consultation is there an mm-hmm. assessment if there's assessment mm-hmm. you don't if you want to give a broad overview then we can get into like the nuts and bolts yeah. on our next conversation yeah, sure. so like so, so- Sorry, so I say consultation, assessment. With the assessment, is there a movement and a physical piece? And then mm-hmm. regards to programming, you said it's semi-private, but kind of what drives your programming model? And like, do you monitor? Do you have any sort of objective, subjective monitoring you do? So kind of like, I know that's a huge question. And it's one we'll dig into, but if you can maybe give the broad overview. Like, so I just walk in, I'm like, I'm just looking for information. Yeah, see what we can get into. So um we have we capture most of our leads through our website, um, and they, they fill out a consultation form or we get referrals. Those are the two ways. So when somebody comes in, they know what they're sitting down for, and we do what's called a one-on-one goal assessment, uh, assessment and goal setting session, and Chris or I do those. And basically, we sit down, um, and we have a conversation. It's all based on dialogue. And that's we want people, and that's how we first communicate unconditional positive regard, our coaching style, all of those things. Like this is based on a conversation. Great. We're not, we're not, we have no sales. Like we're not, I'm not a salesman. We're going to sit down and talk to you. Our goal is to learn as much about you in however much time it takes as we do. So we set aside whatever we take need to do this. Um, and through that process, you know, we walk around the gym. We do one of the things that, that I think about with everyone is I have this concept called kill the tigers in the bushes. So what are all the things that could provoke anxiety with someone that could be lurking that we can take care of up front so someone can fucking relax and just talk to us? And we snuff all of that out in the first things. Like make sure they know where things are in the gym. They meet people. They, we, when they walk in, you know, they have a certain expectation of what's going to happen before they even get there because we send out emails. And then they walk in, we take them around the gym, we talk to them, and then we just start talking. And then from there, we go into um, the actual paperwork stuff where we learn as much about them. And, and, and Chris, I, I will give Chris most of the credit for this because he developed most of this process. But, um, and then we fill out you know, the park queue, the history, all that kind of stuff. But the thing that we do differently than I think of most of a lot of gyms 
is we walk through every piece of that fucking thing. We ask as many open-ended questions as we can to get to know someone. Um, and then from there, we do a movement screen during the consultation. And we do the FMS and we modify it in certain ways if we don't get the information that we want. But we like it because it's standardized. and We can, can communicate it with other people and it works well for us. Um, but if someone can't do some of the tests, we're like, okay, well, let's see what you can do. And then we go from there. Um, and then after that, they come in for what we call a personal orientation session. Mm -hmm. So we walk through the big, we, they learn our warm-ups. Um, then we walk through the big four human movements, push, pull, squat, hinge. Um, and we find the appropriate level for them, like what, based on our progression and regression system. So that way, when we write a program, they know where they're starting. We know where they're starting. And rather than day one on a program, be as much learning as that it would be if we had not done that, they can come in and actually start to train hard on day one. Yeah. But it also gives us a chance to learn more about them as a person, um, personality-wise. So we take notes on all the movement stuff. We take notes on personality. We do all of that. And then we communicate it through to our staff through our, one of our threads. Um, but we also take, as far as basic fitness level and any kind of markers, and I know that like, it's not the best way to do it because we can, it's variable what time of day people are coming in. And I know people get white coast syndrome, but we take a resting heart rate um, just to kind of get a snapshot of like, okay, is there a big issue that we might need to worry about here? Or how do we need to, um, how do we need to start to conduct their conditioning for general? How, how do you take that? Do they, do they have a heart rate? We have these two really sweet pleather chairs on our, in our gym. Mm. So we have them lay back and we put a pulse ox on their finger and we just leave them there for okay. a while and we okay. come back and just take it while their eyes are closed. Cool. Um, and then that's, that's the consultation and, and the orientation. And that's where we really start. And there's details in there that I could fill in, of course, but that's where we start with everyone. And then from there, um, we do like a month to six weeks of programming at a time, depending on how many people, are, how many days per week someone's coming in. Do you, do you individualize that for the person? Yep. Okay, yep. sweet. Yeah. Everything's individualized, except for our group program, which is still relatively individualized because it's templated and we help them make choices. Yeah, but there's yeah. progressions, regressions built in. Right, exactly. So but it's do, 100%. Do you guys offer then different levels? And then there's, there's groups, semi private, and is there one on one? Is there we group? have one on one. It's, it's a much smaller program because it's like Chris and I honestly don't want to do it. Um, the the semi private we have seen has just been better for people from a community standpoint and results yeah. standpoint. And it's like for us as business owners, for us to monopolize our time with that doesn't make a lot of sense, but we have some younger kids that want to start doing it now that work for us. But I do, Chris and I do work one-on-one -on -one with a kid that we, we share responsibility with that has um, cerebral palsy yeah. and we train him because it's like, well, we can't cut you loose in the semi-private anyway. You know what I mean? So. Sweet. So you have your online, which I, which I know is trying to factor, but then you have your group training, semi-private and, you know, you might do one-on-one -on -one depending on the context and obviously if it's worth your time from a right. voluntary standpoint. So that's, that's savage, yeah. I mean, uh, listen, I have tons, tons more to talk to you about, you know, so get more into, like, the programming model. I uh, want to ask you about, like, you know, your biggest influences on you in terms of continuing education, lessons learned in your life, your top book resources, how do you learn well. I'm sure if you listen to any of my podcasts, I'll be asking you who you're going to bring to dinner. Um, you know, and like if you'd only one year left on earth, like how would you spend that year and shit like that? But listen, I'd just have you back on just to fucking chat more and yeah, let's talk next week. I can do it next week. Yeah, I mean I'm good. I'm good. My my schedule's wide open. Um just for you go though, what are you currently reading and researching? Like what's top mind awareness? Yeah, so uh I'm rereading Lila by Robert N. Persig, which is one of my favorite books. It's a philosophy book. 
I know, um, Percy. Have you read the 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 motorcycle one? Yeah, that's my favorite book of all time. I, I reread I'm, it every year too. I'm not gonna lie, Anthony Rennett just stuck uh, that book up on his, and I'm not, I'm not on Facebook that often, but he just stuck it up on Facebook the other day, and he uh, he said, I tried to read this book like years ago, and he's younger, and he says, and he says I'm rereading it now, and he just goes, wasn't prepared, like wasn't in the mindset. Basically, he's like I wasn't ready for it when I was younger, and I have to say, Danny Lennon from Sigma Nutrition t- raves about that book, and I got it, and I started reading it two years ago, and I didn't finish it. I just couldn't get into it for some reason, but I have it there now, and I'm like, I'm gonna read it again. I just, don't, yeah. I just don't think I was in the mind frame for it. You got it. It's just, it's just like anything else. You gotta be. It's timing, man. It's timing in the time of of life when you're ready to absorb stuff like that. But uh, I love that book, both of those books, because just of how I think Persig's his point of view on blending science and the rest of being a human being together and realizing like. You can't depend on one or the other. They're both important. And how do you think about each of them? Um, is, is He does it. He amalgamates that information better than any person I've ever experienced in my entire life. And yeah. I think that that's it. Just for the listeners, the name of the book is The uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Mm-hmm. What and a then name. the second book is Lila. Lila, yeah. Like the one you're reading now. What a name for a book. Oh, it's awesome. And when you read it, you understand why he called it that. Now, in fairness, I, I read, like I'd say, I think I only had, a, like, I read them. It's a big enough book. Like, I, I read, I think, about, like, eight-tenths of the book, and I just kind of, I don't know, I just didn't finish it out. I must go and that's, that's unlike me, because I usually am a man to finish books, um, like, if, I, if I'm into it, like, you know. But, uh, yeah, I just remember thinking that this was tough going. That's maybe just where my mindset was at the time, like. Could be. I, I definitely want to because Danny would obviously be someone who I'd have massive respect for and he was like he was like this book's amazing and like because there's loads of books he's recommending I read them I was like yep that book was amazing and now you said it and it was also too at the time when he mentioned it's like that time where like, you never hear about a book and someone mentioned and then fucking like 10 people mention you're like okay I get it universe I gotta get this yeah. book you're smacking me in the face with this right yeah. listen Todd man fucking savage I'll just uh, I'll just press stop here on the record for the for the listeners and then I'll say goodbye to you offline but listen for all my listeners it's pretty dark here isn't it it's actually it's like 20 past 2 in the afternoon here but it's dark because it's, it's it's overcast and dumb um, even the listeners can't see this book me and Todd are on doing here <laughs> uh, listeners listen thanks a million as always for your earbuds I really appreciate it and uh, this is just a as I said, Bill Hartman said, get this man in your podcast I, knew, I was actually walking around today even yesterday just to let you know I was like you know, I just want to see if you've been on any podcasts. Like, uh, then I went to your website and I was like, it looked up, I was starting to just read like a bit of your bio. And then one part was like, do you know what? I don't want to actually, I actually just want to go on to this blind date and just fucking That's be, awesome. be authentic and be like, fuck it. And it's savage. Worked out great. And I was just thinking as a journal conversation, like I don't want to do this more often. Just like get people on, like they just fucking get to know them as we're talking. That was brilliant. Listen, I, I, I want to say this for myself uh, and so that the people listen to this here. This truly appreciate your honesty. Uh, I just want to say I really appreciate you for that and uh, even though this is our first conversation massive love from my heart for you for today really do appreciate it and uh, that's all I gotta say and I'll put all your details in the show notes and listen let's fucking make this happen next week if we can or, or as soon as possible yeah man thanks man I appreciate you this is this is cool this is a great conversation it was really awesome yeah. and I like uh, I felt uh, I felt really comfortable talking to you so I know that yeah. there was something I told you beforehand, my, you can say on this podcast. This podcast is a fucking very safe place, but so you can uh, say whatever the fuck you want because it's my podcast, people. Uh, <laughs> all right, listen to all the listeners again. As I say, thanks for your earbuds. And until next time, take care, be well, and stay strong. Mm-hmm.